everybody. Welcome back to Real Talk. After our summer break, we had a couple weeks off there. So now we're back at you with some more podcast episodes. So today we are joined by Rick Ludwig and Diane Vanderwood Russell. I guess, uh, I don't know if you go by Vanderwood or Russell now, but uh, kind of both. So um, I nailed yes. it, man. So, <laughs> transitioning still. Transitioning. Uh, trans- <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're, we're uh, going to talk about grief today and uh, um, dealing with grief and stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, we welcome you guys from of Kitch- Kitching Steep and Ludwig Funeral Home. Um, Rick is the owner and Diane is a funeral director, as, mm-hmm. as I understand. But we'll get you guys to introduce yourself. So maybe I can go, go nuts. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we're excited to be here. It's our, our first podcast. And uh Hey, we're going national, so we're excited about yeah, that. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> and yeah. uh, this could be the start of something big. <laughs> yeah, so we're uh, we're both funeral directors. I'm a funeral director now, licensed uh, over 25 years. Um, my my uh, start in funeral service, uh, not to be overly dramatic, was a love story. I met my wife now, Denise, in high school. I started dating her, and, uh, you know, as I came home to her home for, for dinners and so on. Her father was a funeral director. And so you started to hear stories around the table yeah. and what he did. Mm-hmm. Obviously my interest was piqued just, uh, just from a human interest point of view to see, well, what, what's this all about? And mm-hmm. uh, he had a small family run funeral home and uh, it wasn't long before he said, Hey, I could use a hand with something. Uh, could you do this? Could you do that? And before we knew it, I had a part-time job on the weekend, uh, Covering the phones at the funeral home, doing odd odd work, um, oh, yeah. non-funeral director work yep. as a support staff. And um, I was really not only intrigued, but I kind of fell in love with not only my wife, but also her dad's <laughs> her dad's business. And I was just impressed at um, his position in the community. And I don't, not only the church community, but the community he lived in where uh, you're sort of at this sort of quietly central place where... Mm. everyone ends up coming to mm-hmm. some degree, mm-hmm. right? Someone has died and the community comes around that. And to see the dignity um, that was not only afforded his position, but also for in the work that he did, how he honored uh, people who had died and also looked after their families. There seemed to be a, like a tremendous reward in that, that um, people really appreciated what he did. Mm-hmm. And that I, I can honestly say, probably, I remember my first time I saw um, a Legion service. And a Legion service is when a veteran has died and members from the Legion come together for an evening prayer service, which has some recitations and poems similar to a Legion service you would see at a cenotaph. Mm-hmm. And then at the at, after they've done some readings and some prayers, um, there's a time when you stand quietly and listen to the last post being played. And then all the veterans go up and place a poppy on the casket on the front rail of it. And the solemnity of that and the significance of it was that just grabbed me like, this is something I need to be part of. This is, this is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When someone dies, you know, there needs to be an opportunity for people to stop, pay some attention, um, put some sense around it, mm-hmm. appeal to God um, for help with it, but then also really honor the life of the person that was lived. And, uh, and then, as a group go forward from there. So it just grabbed my heart, but also my mind. And um, I took a circuitous route from there to, to become a funeral director. But uh, um, after going to university and, and doing some different things, but uh, never regretted it. It's been, uh, it's been a passion uh, of mine ever since. Wow. Interesting. Quite the sales pitch. I, yeah. I want to change careers all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be a, a common thread with funeral directors, but I read on Diane on your bio that, uh, 
you always wanted to be a funeral director. So mm-hmm. <laughs> what's your story? <laughs> yeah. So mine uh, started when I was eight years old. Uh, my brother, Justin died. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In 1994. And that was when I think just watching my family go through it and the respect it was Henry, who was actually the funeral director then um, just the respect that my family had for him and the trust they placed in him to, mm-hmm. um, you know, look after things for our family. And then also part of me, I think, was a little bit fascinated by it, like just in the sense of who are these people that, you know, they wear these suits and they yeah. don't seem to say a whole ton, but yet they seem to get a lot done and seem to communicate well with each other. And the mm-hmm. cars are always super clean. <laughs> and I think I was just a little bit fascinated by the whole funeral world mm. and then um, knew I wanted to be a part of it somehow, whether in the bereavement aspect or but then ultimately um, going to school for funeral services, then um, learned that, no, my passion is really to be on the funeral directing side of it, not just with, um, yeah, working with families and running services, arranging services, but also the other side of things too. Like there's, our job has kind of a lot of different facets to it. So mm-hmm. yeah, been licensed over 16 years now and yeah, I wouldn't change it at all. That's for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I mean, yeah, it seems to be something for me that it's hard to imagine a world where I would want to get into it, but I, it's been, you know, very well appreciated. Like every time I've, I've had, you know, even at funeral homes, um, but then also, yeah, going through, you know, funerals and, and things like it's definitely something that is well appreciated, at least in our community. Mm -hmm. We hear that a lot. A lot of people say to us, uh, I'd never want to do your job, but I'm glad you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you get, and, and we understand that it is, uh, it is a unique, job caring for the dead and caring for the living and mm. uh, i mean today we're going to be talking about grief which is much more the living side of it yeah mm-hmm. um but certainly the care of the dead is a, is an important part of it too and, and and i think people in funeral service that we know um take that very seriously and that mm-hmm. responsibility too that uh, it's a sacred trust yeah yeah how different is that from just maybe briefly going to that like how different is that from i guess the a worldly view like in our christian churches like people expect you to have i guess some form of you know respect for their loved one is that like is that a is there a difference between that and how like a say a secular funeral home would deal with the the dead in that situation yeah i would say no i think everybody um whether you have a, a christian faith or a different faith or no faith at all if you want to put it that way everyone wants you to care for their mom or their dad or their Yep. sibling with respect right. and dignity and uh, i mean how that all works itself out in the funeral will be different as to what mm. people believe and what's important to them but i think the care for the deceased right um is pretty universal that right. everyone wants someone to look after their loved one in a dignified way mm. but each culture has its own practices around that too that you have to be aware of and also understand and right um accommodate hmm. yeah. definitely that's interesting yeah well, today, I guess we should talk about grief if we're going to get to that. Yep. And um, so maybe let's just start off with a bigger picture on grief. So what is grief? How do you guys look at that? And what is the grieving process like? How long is it? Just go to those sort of things, maybe if you want to start with that, Rick. Yeah, sure. We'll uh, we'll try to bounce that around a little bit. I think to, to step back from it, we often, of course, think about grief in relation to death, loss of a loved one, and which is obviously uh, very important and and 
probably one of the most significant things because it's irreversible in that mm. sense in someone's life. But there's there's grief throughout our life because our life is full of starts and stops. Um, um, that's that's the way it is in a broken world. There's nothing eternal other than our relationship with God right now. Um, so we all have to cope with that even from from the start of our life. I'm just thinking um, with my wife. Uh, the other day we were driving and I said, you know, even even our little nephew, we have triplet nephew, two nephews and a niece, and they're, they're a lot of fun. We spend time with him. But one of them just, he was the last. He had to give up his soother, mm. right? And he's getting too old for it. And, like, you're going to school. You can't be hanging on to this <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. And, um, and he's, I mean, he's very intuitive. He almost like, well, what, what will make me happy? Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. But so getting rid of his soother was a big deal because that was something that um, he had a strong connection with to pacify himself, to calm himself, mm. um, to go to sleep with and so on. Sure. So to take that away, there's going to be a, there's a loss yep. and there's a grief with that. That's like, you can't fall asleep. You can't, you're upset. You're, yep. right. what do I replace this with? Right. And very much, I think the grieving process is that is us figuring out as human beings, we've lost something, we're hurt by that, or our life has been turned upside down in some way by it. How do we straighten ourselves out? Yep. How do we reorient ourselves so that we can carry on, that we can do that in a way that we're we're calm, we're, we're able to function. Um, and it just doesn't happen like that, right? No, there, no. There's some work that needs to be done to get there. Yeah. So I think that yeah. in a nutshell, and then you can see that grief is not just for death. It's a job loss. Relationships is huge, right? People have broken relationships. Mm, for sure. Um, even when you start dating, the worst thing is when you get dumped, yeah, right? Yeah. And then you're like, oh man, you have this huge grief attack about it. What, why and how? And my life right. is over. Yep. Um, and that just carries on into all the, th the different segments of your life and the tougher ones. So there's, there's things that are embarrassing, like when you, when you lose your status or, sure. um, bankruptcy, things like that, where people, it's hard to face other people. And yep. so you have complicated, you not only have your own loss, but how do you carry that out socially mm. and in a way that you're comfortable and other people are comfortable to talk about it. And those are all the dynamics around yeah grief i think if you just start from a like a basic definition mm -hmm. right but then you get into death and dealing with the grief that comes with death right. maybe you can speak to that diane yeah it's um it's yeah obviously different um something that i know you kind of touched on that earlier about um yeah like how long does it take or do you recover from it um i don't think that anyone recovers from it i think that we learn to kind of carry the weight of it um, in a different way. Um, mm. and I think that that's, yeah, that can make other people around someone who's grieving uncomfortable in the sense of people, we want to fix things. Like even when you're talking about, Oh, someone gets broken up with, what do your friends do? They want to take cheer you out. Up. They want to cheer you up. Yeah. They want to do that. Mm. But when it comes to losing a loved one, I think it's a bit different in the sense of, um, we have to allow people to grieve and to, to go through the different steps that are involved in that. Yeah. So could you speak to some of those steps? Is there any debate around what that all involves or is that kind of a sort of a set thing? Yeah. You know what? I think back, um, uh, this is always the, I think whenever you start talking about something, I, I was trying to think, think about this earlier. Like if someone said, well, what if you were trying to describe joy, 
Because yeah. we, we look at joy and grief sort of as opposites of yeah, each right. other, right? right? And and we're kind of comfortable not to say, well, there's a whole bunch of stages for joy. You kind of start with, you know, something interests you, and then all of a sudden you get really True. engaged, then you get yeah. elated, and then you have this sort of come down period. Mm. We just do it, right? Because mm. there's yeah. nobody argues is. about it. Yeah. Mm. But grief is the opposite, where people are constantly trying to help you get over it, get past it, get through it. And so they're really attracted to know, okay, well, what would be the steps? Mm. Um, and this was probably peaked a little bit in the 70s. Dr. Kubler-Ross did a big study on um, people who were dying, actually, not people who were grieving. So people who were facing their mortality okay. and their own death in palliative care. And she identified out of that there were five steps that those people went through. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So that was sort of the, the general curve she saw people go through, um, starting here, kind of descending, and then kind of coming up to this other side. And then what happened is, um, in a general way, the pop populace or culture took it over and said, well, this is what, this is great. This right? is great. Yeah. So if we just get these five steps done, yeah, bada bing, bada boom. then we're done. Right? <laughs> and go, and right? my biggest thing is now, what step am I on? What, yeah, you know, how much right. more do I have to do? And then all yeah. of a sudden they realize that, well, maybe this model doesn't even fit specifically grief, but it also doesn't happen in this orderly fashion. So no. why is it sometime I can accept it and another day I'm, I'm fighting up against it again? Right. I'm having a hard time. Mm believing my loved one or my spouse or my friend died. And why am I revisiting this again? Yeah. Why am I back at that place? Am I failing in my grief? Right. Mm. Actually, no, you're just grieving. Mm -hmm. Just like you're, you're happy, yeah. but you're sad and you're grieving. And the grief is taking you on the place you need to be at that time. Yeah. Uh, as you're working through something. And it's often things that trigger it for you that okay. it might be another a memory of someone else's or a memory of an yeah. instant or missing something even on someone else's behalf you hear that sometimes when people sure. say you know they're at the graduation of their grandchildren and they're yeah. all upset and they're like well what's wrong well I just, your grandfather would have been so proud of you and he's he's not here and i just yeah. can't stop mm. thinking about that yeah so those mm. are very common things and i th i think what we need to do as a culture to help each other is to relieve each other of this pressure okay that grief is needs to be recovered from it needs to be experienced and it needs to be shared and it does resolve itself to a point where you, I think that's a great way of dying, so that, that you can carry it. Okay. That it, you're not overburdened by it. Because uh, there's times when you're overburdened by your grief and you need other people to help shoulder. Yeah. And then there's times you can carry it and actually you become a person who slips your shoulder under someone else's grief. Yeah. And mm. so I know what you're going through. Yeah. Let me help you carry it for a little while. Yeah. Mm. And maybe it's in relating and talking about it and, and sharing some of the experiences. Yeah just being there yeah so is it kind of like do you let your feelings go and just wherever your feelings take you and then is there an end to that if you're trying to um yeah like you say carry that burden forward and accept it i think there's um from my experience anyway sure. and i think some of my family members you know at f when the death first happens like it can be all consuming it's all you think about. Yeah. It's um, not only just with all the funeral planning and, and everything, but even after that, when you're supposed to go back to normal life, um, you know, it's not normal anymore. It's a, yeah. it's a whole new life. It's there's mm -hmm. like the before this happened and after this happened. So I think, yeah, trying to adjust to that new normal without we can be hard on ourselves too, right? Like, why am I not feeling better? Well, it's been half a year. Why am I still having a hard time with this or getting emotional every time I see certain people or hear a certain hymn. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, within reason, we do have to go on with our lives in terms of our day-to-day things. And um, if we're unable to get out of bed and whatnot, then maybe some more, yeah, professional help um, would be useful. But yeah, I think just going through it day by day, um, not trying to see an end in sight. Like, okay. you know, in a year I'm going to be this much better because I feel, yeah, sometimes it's in the second year that I hear families actually have a harder More. time than in the first year. Mm. So right. I think it's just not trying to have everything sorted out as to exactly how it's going to go because it's going to be different for everyone. Mm. Yeah, I like what you said there because you do. You're right. You can't just be a puddle, or you can't just carry on a life with expressing everything you're feeling. You sure. can't do that in any any no. yeah, avenue yeah. of life, right? You have to you have to think and internalize, process. That's part of functioning. So I would agree with Diane that there's times when people were having difficult doing that at a period of time that their grief might be compounded by other things that makes it di- very difficult for them to process it even well. Okay. If you have a lot of mental health struggles, it may uh, a really acute grief could really compound that to yep. say, well, I don't, I have a hard time coping with things normally, and now this is making it almost impossible. Right. So you might need help to sort that out, or trauma, or things like that can really mm-hmm. send someone into a place that they they don't have the tools, and somebody maybe mm-hmm. needs to help them either give them the tools or put the words to what they're feeling so that they can process it. I think the the one thing that also I hear a lot about. Um, with grieving and even with funerals um, is that people say, well, well, we need closure, right? We, we're going to do this because we need closure. And it's kind of a funny idea if you think about it, as if we can take something in our life that's very significant emotionally, physically, mentally, and we're just going to take it and we're going to deal with it. And then we're going to put it in the closet and close the door and then we're done. Yeah, and then we're mm-hmm. gonna we do we don't do that with anything else. We don't do that with our joys. No. In fact, one of the things we love to do is open a photo album and revisit them. Yeah, mm-hmm. we want to go and walk down and walk, and we can laugh again about. We can laugh sometimes as hard or harder at about something funny in the past. Yeah, or a great time we had yeah. as a family or with friends than you did even in the moment. And that's there's something really therapeutic and helpful about that. But grief is the same, where you can revisit an experience a cause, something that caused grief, and then as a family share again in that or with yep. a friend. Mm. And there's something very helpful as you continue to grow in that to say, okay, um, this is a normal, natural response to what happened. And it's good for me to get mm. that out. Okay. Is that a helpful, like, I would say, tool to deal with with grief for some people? like, Or to, for everybody to, even. Yeah, to revisit it or, I mean, I guess it's not like we readily do that because it's, I don't know if you call it a negative emotion, but it's it's something that we don't obviously like to feel. Um, and and we obviously don't like to always like express that everywhere we go. Mm. But um is that is that something that is helpful, like healthy to to revisit, to re-remember, I guess, or just remember <laughs> um that those times, the people um that we've lost, is that yeah, I think that I think I got a bit sidetracked with what I was saying earlier. Um what I was trying to say was, yeah, at first how it's all consuming, but then as time goes, that does like how much it consumes you does lessen, mm. even though it doesn't maybe feel that way in the first while that, that it would. But I think 
it's yeah, I think it's healthy, like whether it be on the anniversary um, or birth mm -hmm. dates of people just to acknowledge um, maybe it's not even so much for for you that you're like that you really need to acknowledge, but maybe other people in your family or loved ones. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I really try myself to friends of mine who have lost people. I really try to make sure I reach out on those days. Um, do I think they maybe always really want to hear from me? Maybe not. But I think it's having your grief acknowledge that, well, it's been a year since, you know, my mom died, for example, and, mm. you know, everyone was there last year and where is everybody today? So I think mm. just having it, being able to, not saying you have to talk about it every time with people, but mm -hmm. just being open enough to, yeah. you know, it was a significant event in someone's life. So. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I really like that. And also, um, my experience has been if you give people permission to tell their story mm -hmm. about something that happened in their life, they will tell you actually with great detail. Right. They will tell, they will remember the events leading up to it. They'll remember the event of the death if they were there. Yep. They'll remember how they felt, who was helpful to them, the mm -hmm. things that hurt them, the things that confused them. Um, to a, a very minor detail, the things they felt excluded from, even if. I've met with people and, uh, you know, doing funeral pre-planning and then they end up talking about uh, maybe they had a stillborn child or, a, and years ago that the, often the mother was very shielded from it. She was still in the hospital for four or five days. The father might've gone with the minister to do the burial and um, she was excluded from it. It all well-meaning this, this needs to be done. Don't worry about it. You, we're not going to put this on you. We're going to look after it. And by the time you come home, we're going to try normalize everything. Right, if right, you can right. imagine mm -hmm. that doesn't even make sense these days, right? How would you mm -hmm. normalize that? No. But they, then all of a sudden that conversation and giving, allowing some voice to that, um, you get a big, you get a whole story and mm -hmm. also yeah, how they felt about it and how they still feel about it. And So in that example, did the mother miss out on closure or not? Because we just talked about closure is not really a thing. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm getting back to. It When okay. I brought up closure, I actually, I believe grief is about opening. Okay. So what happened is the door was not actually open for that person to express okay. it or to even, even allowed to, with permission, feel it, the, the encouragement was let's move on. Right. Mm. Let's move on. Trust God. Yep. We trust in God. We know that this baby's with God. Yep. And now we move on. But what's happened is a big step has been missed as to, well, how do I feel about that? Yeah. How did that, how does that affect me? Yeah. How does that affect me even trusting God that this was a good thing? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so those are all things that are, are need to be worked out and, and shared and, and are very healthy for people to do. But often the, the pressure to get over, to fix, to close the door, yeah. um, pushes that away. And so I think healthy grieving is all about opening the door. I think a funeral is not about getting closure. It's about opening the door to say, we can talk about this. We're allowed to feel this. We're allowed mm -hmm. to talk to God about this, each other. And this won't go away. Mm -hmm. This is something we will live with for the rest of our life, but we will figure out a way to manage it and to actually for it to be helpful for us. Yeah. Because life is full of starts and stops. Mm. This will not be the only grief we have. No. It's going to keep happening. Yeah. Until Jesus comes back. Yeah. I mean, that one of the things I just finished reading um, Reverend D. Gelder's book, uh, A View from Above. And uh, one of the big things in there is when Jesus comes back, there's going to be no more grief because death is gone. Brokenness is gone. The stops are gone. Yeah. Mm. In fact, it even says in there, which I hadn't even contemplated that the sort of the marriage feast of the lamb is like this eternal banquet that goes on. Yeah. It's yeah. not, there's no... Oh, you know, there's the come down from the big feast we had. No, it's it's just eternal. It's mm. 
there's no come downs. Right. Um, so that's that's pretty amazing to think about. We can't even kind of wrap our heads around it. But in this life, mm-hmm. there's lots of come downs, yeah. right? There's mm-hmm. lots of times where we have to say, well, now I have to let that go. And I have to be able to move on. How do I do that? Right. Who can help me? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what grief's all about. Who can help me yeah. figure yeah. this out? Yeah, that's, yeah, I kind of want to touch on that because we've been talking about, you know, I mean, a bit from personal experiences too, um, that people can deal with a loss differently. Well, maybe let's touch on first, um, in your experience, how, how does it differ when there's a sudden loss compared to a loss that is, you know, quote unquote expected or something that has been foreseen for a while? Like, not just thinking of old age, but like, I don't know if all our listeners would know, but I like lost my mom like a year and a bit, a year and a half ago. But my mom had cancer for a year and a half, two years. I mean, probably getting the details way wrong, but um, yeah. So, I mean, it was something that was expected and we had a lot of time with her, especially at the end. And it was amazing. And, um, but compared to somebody who loses their loved one in a car accident, I mean, I can't wrap my head around, even after losing my mom, I can't imagine having lost her that suddenly. So is there a difference that you've seen just like, um, I guess on the initial grieving process, um, are you, when you come alongside somebody who's had a, a, a loss that's been expected, is that a different conversation at a funeral and, and then after, or, um, how does that. Yeah. I think the initial, like when we sit down with the family, um, there's, yeah, it's a bit different when a family has had some time to process what's going to happen. And they've Mm. probably even talked about what they want to do in terms of visitation and service. And they've had a bit of time. So they, yeah, it can, they have a lot of the questions already answered type of thing. Whereas the sudden losses, it's, I feel like the initial appointment with them is kind of just even getting them to, I don't know if gaining your trust sounds bad, but just they're mm-hmm. in such a fog that shock, like, right? shock and they don't even know what information we need or what mm-hmm. their options are. And so it's a different type of appointment, I oh, feel, I see, right. and can sometimes yeah lead to it being either a bit longer or needing to kind of leave them with some information and let them kind of process things. And especially if it's a family who's never talked about what their wishes are. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think if you you kind of channel that even a little bit more towards grief, uh, one of the things we, we learned about also in school is that there's anticipatory grief. Right. Right. So in the instance of, of with your mom, you have a time where you know, that's this, this is terminal. Mm hmm. And you're grappling with that. What does yeah. that mean? How does that look? And you and, and I think what happens is people even try to envision for themselves what that will mean. Right. Um, and so, and then you have already some grieving. That people, there's moments that are great that you can share, but there's also sadness that you know right. you're you're leaving, mm-hmm. and we're having a hard time accepting that, yeah. or preparing ourselves for that, or knowing what we're going to do about that when it actually happens. Right. And I still think it's jarring when it does happen. Most people say that, you know, I kind of thought I was prepared, but mm-hmm. I, I still, it still hit me. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's a, that's when it's real. Everything else before that is anticipating yeah. a situation that you haven't really found yourself in completely. And then all right. of a sudden you're in that situation. Yeah. And, um, but I think that's for, for many people, grieving starts ahead of time right. in those situations versus someone who, who didn't see it coming. Right. I mean, the only grieving that 
I think most parents have is the worry that something could happen to their kids. Right. Um, and if you let your mind go there, then you would already have some anticipatory grief. Right. Yeah. But you're not expecting it. You're still mm -hmm. hoping that that would never happen to, yep. to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is that something that like is, is used for people? Like, I, I guess as a parent too, like, yeah, every once in a while your mind goes to that, like what happens if, or what would it would be like to lose, you know, my family or my loved ones, my kids. Right. Is that something that helps people understand? Like, I guess in my experience, like, like it's still, yeah, it still hits you. Right. And right. it's different than what you thought it would be yeah. even. Yeah. I can't say it's like, say maybe worse for everyone maybe people can imagine it you know worse than it is but it's right. it's totally different i guess but i guess is it healthy to you know have not a vision of that but like to entertain that um thought especially as christians like to know that to work through the comfort of it already prior to even experiencing anything like that yeah you know i think the book of ecclesiastes in the bible is all about that isn't it is to coming to terms with the fact that uh, there's a time for everything, a time yep. to be born and a time to die. Mm. And that part of living a, a healthy life or even a, a, on earth is that we need to reckon with that, yep. with mm. our mortality. Yep. And then also that I think from a faith perspective makes us more acutely aware of the need for eternity, right? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. In that relation with God, that um, everything we have here is just for a time and a season. And mm. it will be gone and it'll be passed on. I mean, I kind of always gets me how the, the writer in Ecclesiastes said, and then someone else is just going to take my stuff, right? right. It's, I, I could build everything up to something, but it's just going to be left to somebody else. Yeah. And then even relationally, we have that in the sense that your relationships are only in this world for this time that we have them. And then there's eternity, but eternity, our relationships will be better, but changed. Mm -hmm. Right. There's going to be no marrying. There's going to be, you know, so it's going to be different. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be far better than what we experience now. But it, it, I think that's some process that all of us have to work with. Mm. And I think even the unbeliever is faced with it, yep. but is often trying to avoid it. Yeah. Right? How, how can I avoid having this? Because if you have no answer for that, um, it's not a question then, you want to face. Then you, then you just want to, like, today, I live for today because right. there's no point in, paying too much attention to the future yeah hmm. yeah that's true. so that i think um so i think that's the interesting thing about grief and i think one of the other things about it from a christian context now that we're kind of circled in on hmm. that is that often people feel the burden that their grief is opposed to faith so if i have faith i believe in god i trust 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 right i don't need to grieve hmm. i just turn my eyes upward god will make this all make sense to me hmm. yep um, but I think if we look in the Bible, that's not the way it is. In fact, even in the Bible, it talks about God grieving. So um, God grieves over his people who have turned their back on him yep. when the, he was going to flood the world. Yeah. He said, I, I'm, I regret yeah. that I made these people and I'm grieved that they don't mm -hmm. love me. Yeah. Right. Um, that's, that's a huge. So there's this tight relationship between grief and love. And then you see that with Jesus. Jesus, um, at his friend Lazarus' death, there's a lot going on there because he's also looking forward to his own death and burial and conquering the grave. But in that, there's that short little verse that Jesus wept. And then there's the commentary where the people say, and the people said, said to each other, see how much he loved him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's this really tight 
connection between love yeah. and grief. Right. And uh, there's a, a well-known um, quote from Queen Elizabeth at, right after 9-11. She's issuing a statement to give some consolation to uh, the world, really, but also yeah. to the United States. And she said, uh, grief is the price you pay for love. And the significance of that was she was trying to honor their grief to say, you're grieving because you love. And that's, that's a high Testament to you that you care about these people. That's, Mm. that's the human condition. But the other side of it was that made it very clear that if you're going to love, you're destined to grieve. You have no choice. It's the, it's the other side of it. Right. When something you love is taken away, you need to grieve. Right. And it takes energy and, and effort and thought and just like love does. Mm. Love is hard work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's often denying yourself, doing all these other things. Right. But grief is the same. It takes this whole process to work that out and figure out what do I do with these feelings? And now how do I reorient them even to other people? Um, because this was so significant to me. Now how do I turn yeah. the page on that? Right. Mm. Um, you, you Earlier you used the words uh, like letting go of your grief. Is that in contrast to the grief as a process that never really ends, but it's the letting go, I suppose, like you mentioned before, like the burden that you're able to bear it. Is that just becoming comfortable and coming to terms with your grief and then being able to live with that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, a, is there a contrast there or is that all one? Yeah, one yeah. Same? That's, that's always the challenge. So when you talk about, I, I look at grief as being, um, a part of life, just like joy. And so it's that you're not trying to get rid of your joy. Um, you, and grief is different because it has, it comes with a negative, something, something has happened to you. Yeah. That is a negative in the sense of the grand scheme of things. You've lost something and yeah. you need to, to cope with that. But I don't think if you trying to move away from it or get away from it, rarely is helpful right so it's not so i think never the pursuit of or working through grief should never be um now just how do i get this what are the steps to get over this but yeah what am i actually feeling why am i feeling it yep. and what do i do with those feelings so as a christian then it would be like to share it but also to take it to god i mean the whole the psalms are all about that right yep the mm-hmm. psalms of lament are all about the fact that it's not that i i've put my faith off to the side it's in the mm-hmm. middle of my faith God help me yeah. figure this out yeah. because my life is turned upside down. My friends have turned against me. My, um, I've lost this family, or I yeah. feel this or I feel the burden even of my anguish on me. I can't stop crying. I can't. And um, it's never in the context or rarely at least in the context of saying, oh, and then I realized I should remember you. Yeah. It's actually mm-hmm. like in the midst of it, it's, I remembered that yeah, yes, you right. are still there for me. In the middle of this, you are still yeah. there for me and there's a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a sign of faith really, because who else do you turn to Right in that in that yeah. time? So mm-hmm. I think that, I guess that's where we started is that often there's this, um, I think for Christians, this idea of like, do I, is it permissible for me to feel the feelings I'm having, the struggles I'm having? Because I, I don't know, are other people looking at me or I've, am I even looking at myself as if my faith is really weak? right now mm-hmm. and that God could not be happy with this. Yeah. I think the Christian mm-hmm. community, the obligation is to say, no, that's not true, Yeah, but you are suffering and we're here to walk with you and also remind you about how God understands yeah. how Jesus was the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not one, there's not another person who knows more than him yeah. about what you're feeling and experiencing and, right. and how significant that is. So for the people who, 
I say like maybe haven't experienced grief or haven't experienced the same grief as someone else. And as they come alongside, this is kind of coming from, I had, there was a post post confession talk that I heard once um, from Psalm 90. The verse was teach us to number our days and that he spoke on that as in like, it's good for us, even if we haven't experienced grief in our family or, or sorry, a loss in our family or a loss close to us to attend funerals, to, to not just see what people are going through and, and kind of help them with it, but to understand and like to put ourselves into a situation where we're understanding the loss of life and then the hope that we have as Christians. So how important is it, is it for people to kind of, yeah, kind of like get inside that world a little bit to help support um, those who have lost? Is it helpful to, you know, attend a funeral just to, I mean, when you, when you're at a funeral, like you do, you just, just a feeling that you have, right. To that, that you're like, Oh, there's, there is something. And you, like you said, like, I guess both of you, what makes you get into it is there's something about it that just grips you. That is, is that like a, something that people can do to, you know, help with, you know, other people. I'm not exactly sure how to answer that actually. (laughs) You haven't had people, you haven't had people come to your funeral. It reminds me of, of um, that kind of well-known poem by John Donne where, um, for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for the every, every man's death diminishes me. So there's this awareness Mm. of that when someone else dies, um, whether it's in, even in Christian community or just in general community that I'm mortal too. This could mm-hmm. happen to me. This yep. could happen to my loved one. So there's that reminder. I could see where the person who was teaching that was trying to say, um, don't avoid funerals mm-hmm. to say, because you don't want to deal with that. It's actually, those are therapeutic moments for all of us to yeah. say, we are all standing in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, our, you know, our life is just a thread yeah. of between breath and not breath. And that's all at God's mercy mm-hmm. um, that we continue living. Right. So I think there's, there's a great benefit of that. And then there's the whole other side of it, of community mm. um, that grief is just like love. Grief is ne- never meant to be on its own. It needs to be expressed because if, if you say, well, I'm a loving person, but you have no relationship with anyone, where's the evidence of that? How, yep. Who are you loving with? Yep. Just yourself. Mm. Yep. Um, so love needs a target. So grief is the same that if you have grief, but I'm just holding it to myself and there's no expression of it. It has no value. It doesn't help me because I haven't shared it with you. I haven't sort of unburdened myself and I haven't worked through any of it. Um, I've just kind of hoarded it to myself. Or if people around me are saying, don't share that with me mm-hmm. by, all their, by all their cues, their social mm-hmm. cues, then they're actually blocking you from having a healthy expression of that. Is mm-hmm. that like most of what grief, um, maybe that's the wrong question, but is that part of grief is, is a big part at least? It's just sharing the story. Yeah, maybe Diane can. Uh, so, I mean, if you just even think of what people do when they come to the funeral home. Oh, yeah. Even when like you first meet with them and like all, most of the time they're strangers to us, really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And when you ask certain questions, like most of the time, I'd say like 98 percent of the time they want to share with you. Like I've never met these people, so they want to tell you stories and what they were super interested in and um, yeah, people will talk a long time about their loved one. They want to share because mm-hmm. that's what's on their mind. Right. Yeah. So 
Mm-hmm. And how do you respond to that? Like, because that's, I guess, maybe I'm skipping ahead here in terms of helping other people deal with it. But is it just being there and saying, oh, like, that's very interesting. Like, I'm glad to hear that. You obviously had a special relationship with that person. Yeah, listening is huge, um, whether that's at work, but also just with people in general. In general. Sometimes they just need to talk um, or they just need company, like someone to just be by them. Um, but with, yeah, when it comes to our jobs as funeral directors, it's also to guide them in a way to be able to have a service that's going to reflect their loved one. Right. And have it be, so that's kind of how a lot of those conversations start. And then they kind of turn into, um, yeah, what type of service that, that people like to have. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's the other side of it. Um, is that each person is unique I and mean, we have a lot of common, so you can talk about grief and common things about grief, but each person is unique. So their need is unique at different times too. So opening the door as a supporter by first of all, having questions rather than answers, um, because our, our tendency and uh, maybe males are worse. I don't know, but to be problem solvers. Mm. Um, we never look at that like a funeral, um, being a funeral director is we're like a problem solver. Like we're going to help you fix your grief or or mm. remove the object of your grief. Or right. we're actually saying we're opening the door for you to express this. And we hope that this door opening in the funeral itself will help you and the community around you continue that conversation as long as it needs to happen. Right. Mm, okay. um, and not the opposite. That's why when people say, well, we need the closure. And I'm like, right. you need to doors, open it. Doors you need open. to keep the door wide yeah, open yeah, yeah, yeah. and let people express it. And one of the biggest disappointments for people that we'll often hear about afterwards is the people who wouldn't let the door be open, right? The people they counted on even as maybe their close friends who were unable to talk to them about it, who wouldn't mention the mm. name of the person who died, who wouldn't even engage the subject, right? They'll meet Mm. with you and have a conversation as if nothing happened, right? Because they think they're helping you because I don't want to make you upset. Mm -hmm. I don't want to bring you to a place that maybe is uncomfortable. Right. And they're also feeling, I don't know what to do or say if you get upset. Right. Yeah. Um, That's kind of I don't have a solution for your problem. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at. Right. Okay. What do you do? And the solution is just to be the person who asks the question. Okay. And then is willing to take the time to listen to the answer. Yeah, because the answer can be long and it can be teary. Um, It can be repetitive. Mm -hmm. People, uh, I think one of the biggest things when I've experienced my experience is people need to tell that story over and over again to process it. Mm. And that story can have variations, um, but it often centers around what happened, how it happened, their regrets. If I had done this, maybe I had done that. I don't know if I did the right thing. Mm. Maybe if we had gone to the doctor earlier. Maybe we, if we had um, all those types of things that they just need to process and run through yeah. to be the person who is, sits there and patiently listens and says, oh, that's really hard or um, puts an arm around them or yeah. in a Christian context says, you know what, can mm-hmm. I just pray with you about that, that God would help you work through that, but not be solution oriented to say, ha, what do I need to do to get rid of this grief? problem that you're experiencing <laughs> right, yeah. right that that's our impulse it's and it's not just in christian God, it's in society yep mm. that yeah. is our impulse we're uncomfortable with grief so we're usually our our, our our reflex is to say how do i how do i knock this down yeah how do mm. i get out of this conversation yeah. and i've had families that you know they we go through the funeral process um and then you know they're done that they're like oh that's over okay that's you know that's over it's good and now we can move forward and i'm always like uh, yeah, 
in a way, but it's actually kind of just beginning for them at mm. that point on the day of the funeral. That's when their grief is, that's, yeah, that's when their journey is really starting. So right. sometimes you feel bad being the person that's like, yeah, you got through this and that's great. But unfortunately, it's mm. actually going to get worse. Does before... that come from like an anxiety, an anxiety about the event of the funeral? For the people who have to, you know, that they wanted that they're like, oh, it's over. That's good. Yeah. yeah like, I, well, it's like a, you know, if you were anxious about doing a speech or something, right? Or, like, I definitely think be... there's like, yeah, there's it's anxiety <laughs> written, and I feel bad for family sometimes. Um, yeah, especially the ones who are delivering the eulogies and stuff like that. I feel like they the whole day they're not even mm. present because they're not grieving. They're, they're, they're the nervous, speech. and I totally get that. Mm. Um. But just everything, knowing that you're got to be at the funeral home at this time and yeah. who's all going to be coming. I'm going to see all these people and. Will so I be able to keep it all together? Keep, am right? I, yeah, yeah. Am I going to be a mess? Am I like all these expectations we put on ourselves that I think there's a lot of anxiety with. It's like a wedding day, too, though. There's so much anxiety that comes mm -hmm. with yeah, those like days, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So. I think any big event like that is always going to have that. I don't think it's a, there's mm. a way to avoid that. I th I think that's where the the rehash comes. In. My my wife's family is like the professional rehashers. They can just have a great event or a sad event or where, and then they immediately will rehash it. Yeah, talk about it. how they felt about it, how it went, and then they will maybe in a week's time again they'll rehash it again or the next time yeah. they're talking. And because we can't capture everything in one moment, even in a mm. funeral, you could have it all best planned but as a person you can't absorb all the things the feelings the interactions but you can reflect on them and then right. suddenly afterwards you think you know that person said that to me and that was really encouraging or helpful or that really hurt that that person said that and i'm really struggling with that mm -hmm. or i really appreciated the message that i heard we're in the moment sometimes or the hymn that i heard and it starts to resonate mm -hmm. for you and and that's that's part of grieving. That's just, it's like, yeah. the, like I said, it's not different than joy. Joy, we take those moments and we try to absorb a great time, but mm -hmm. then we want to talk about it again to kind of keep picking up the fragments of it that, and say, wow, that was a good time. Remember I had this conversation with this person or we did that. or remember mm -hmm. when that person did that. That was hilarious. Yeah. Right. Grief is the same where we have to, we kind of have to keep working our way through it and what happened, who said what, how did it happen? How did that hit me? I couldn't absorb it all at the moment. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I can carry it with me. And then it's yeah. even, I think, people, uh, I think, whether they're uh, faith-based or not, always talk about memories, right? And, and that's why memories do bring some consolation to us, that we can we can revisit things. Mm, it's There's part of a, the story. It's part of the story, but it also yeah. brings us back to try to pick up something that we felt or experienced at that time yeah. that made us feel good or made us feel safe or um, was a moment of sharing love. Like, and just like, okay, I, I can somehow grasp still something of my partner's love in, in this memory for me because I can't experience it now. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, interesting one things, grief examples in the Bible, I think it's an axe and Paul, and I'm not even sure which group of people it is. Somebody can look this up, but he's visiting there. He spent his time there and they've had the, the bond of him establishing church yep. and all that comes with all that, the sharing. And he has to leave and they know that, he, you know, realistically, he's never coming back here. No. He's getting on a ship. Mm. He's getting older. There's no way he's going to do a loop back here again. There's a lot of other places to see. And and they mm. it says that they're crying and, and grieving. And what, what they're grieving most about is that they won't see his face again. Yeah. yeah. They will not be able to sit across from him and say, you and me, we're just Human sharing connection. this moment. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
they can remember him and remember all the things he said, and they can read the letters in the Bible, whatever, but it won't be quite the same mm. ever on this side of eternity yes. that they can sit face to face again. And I think that's that's what a that's what grief is all about. Us coming to terms, the fact that we can never sit face to face with that person again and say, mm. Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. This is how I'm doing. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and, and share all we can do is remember it. Yeah. yeah and right. try to relive it some way. Yeah. So grief is about letting that go somehow. Yeah. So and coming yeah. to terms with that. Coming to terms. Yeah. Like, That's interesting. Yeah. Well, because yeah, in my experience too, it's it's the little things like you mentioned, like that you don't think necessarily that you'll remember. I like that you put it that you guys are are quietly central in like this this time. You just you're there, you create an atmosphere that the, these things can happen, like the funeral can go on and and give people the opportunity to, you know, whatever act within this. Right. this environment that you create yeah. which yeah even even with my mom when she was in the hospital some of my like i don't know if you say fond, yeah fondest memories looking back even at the time she was in the hospital which was a tough time are their memories that i didn't think at the time were like this i'm gonna remember this like mm-hmm. and some of the moments that i thought you know what this is something that i could have to make sure i remember i remember them but yeah. they they're not like they touch me like the other moments mm-hmm. so and then even about the funeral service and the funeral like um the funeral home where we had so many people come through like the just every once in a while it'll hit you little things like oh, i remember that person who came through that line and like there were hundreds of people and why do i remember that and mm-hmm. why does that touch me you just don't know what these things are so and i think our community is uh, within what you make like or create as funeral directors like um we have a very good support of like how these things are constructed to create those moments of remembrance and then support too. So, no, I think that's a great way to capture that. Uh, uh, I think that's, uh, you know what? Nobody wants to be at the funeral home. Mm -hmm. We know that nobody wants to be at the graveside, but some of the most poignant moments are at the graveside or Mm -hmm. at the side of a casket where you're just coming to like grips with reality, your feelings, a depth of your, person even uh, depth of your relationship with god with each other as a family and friends mm. where i'm always amazed at that like as as a family even often people i mean it can be different especially if there's a lot of trouble in a family it can be different right but if a family is reasonably close together around a funeral they get even closer together and they actually don't want to be apart mm-hmm. from each other for a yeah, while I, when jay died after it was like the reception was over at my parents house and whatever i was like everyone's exhausted but it was like so we're not done hanging out, are we? Mm-hmm. And we all went for dinner that night. And because it was like, you're spending all that time in the hospital and with him and over the funeral days. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to keep hanging out with these people and mm-hmm. and talk, yeah, rehash things about what was meaningful to me or yeah, what was I hurt by? What? Yeah. yeah. And I think part of that is because that's the time when we've made ourselves more vulnerable to each other than we normally would. Mm-hmm. And so we've opened this door to each other mm-hmm. and there's, and those are the people who are most understanding you, uh, who are sharing this grief burden with you. You really relate to each other. And there's a sense you don't want that to end. Yeah, mm-hmm. you've opened up the love side of it too. Right? For sure. So and it's just like, this is there. this is really helping me yep. to be with you mm-hmm. and to be able to just openly talk freely about this, how I'm feeling, how you're feeling, how we're missing this person. Yep. And it's almost an environment you can't recreate. Mm-hmm. No. It, you can only get it in fragments again going forward yeah. as someone opens the door for you or you 
push it down yourself and say, I'm going to talk about this, whether yeah, you want yeah. to hear it or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which we, I think one of the other things was relationally. Uh, I think one of the things we talked about ahead of time was um, how do people grieve together, right? In yeah. a household, mm-hmm. like yeah. um, a brother, uh, brother, sister, or parents, particularly. I think one of the high statistics um, in society is that when a death of a child can really fracture a marriage relationship. And it's not because the people didn't love each other before that. And all of a sudden this exposed that is I think they're having such a hard time communicating with each other, um, their grief and nobody's helping them to say, that's okay. We don't Mm -hmm. have to do this exactly the same, but how do we find a way that we each lean into each other to do the thing that we need to do for that other person? Mm. Yeah. Um, And, and maybe back and forth kind of have this, yeah. It's ebb and flow and what where one person buries themselves in their work and the other person can't even get motivated to do anything or right. all those types of things. And then there's this, that can be this friction and this like, stop making me do this. Or why can't you, you know, even get up and mm-hmm. do something. And yeah. Can you speak to that too? Like in mm-hmm. terms of, we've talked a lot about, okay, here's how you can deal with your grief and grief is a process and whatnot. It stays with you. But what are some, some negative habits in terms of, both dealing with grief as an individual and then also trying to support other people who are dealing with grief, like husband and wife, all any sort of relationship really. Um, I think just knowing kind of not that you have to know all the exact right words to say, but just, you know, not like diminishing people's feelings in terms of, I know, um, and not just in the reform community and other Christian communities, sometimes you hear people saying to the grieving people in the visitation room, you know, like this was, you know, this was God's will. And well, yes, they're well Mm -hmm. aware of that. Um, but not always the easiest to wrap your head around, um, right in the moment. Um, or one thing I guess I would say from the outside that I struggle with is just sometimes the, um, yeah, with the body and a lot of times families will say, oh, it's, you know, it's just the shell. It doesn't, um, and yes, you're right in, in that extent, um, they're with God now. And, but the shell, that person, that body, we love that body and it's okay that we did, Mm -hmm. right. It's okay that we're sad when we're seeing them for the last time or we're closing the casket. Um, even if you're well aware that, um, you know, you have your faith and you know where that person is that you love. I think mm. it's okay to just let people still be sad about that and seeing their loved ones. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think some people are trying to, um, help themselves by saying that to, to avoid the emotion around it or trying to say, well, this doesn't matter. I don't right. want to dwell on this. So because like stoicism? There's, there's, kind of yeah, a little bit or their souls with Jesus. So that, but I think, I mean, Heidelberg Catechism, him, our Lord's Day One is the one that we recite all the time that mm. body and soul, both in life and death, I belong to Jesus Christ. So even though the soul is with Christ, we should also say the body is his. Yeah. And what we do with it is important. And we don't have to be ashamed to look at it and also to carry it carefully it's to te- the grave. Yeah, right? it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed oh. to honor yeah, it throughout so our lives. There, there should be still a high degree of honor there. But and we're still respecting that each family would have their own way around that but i i think we when when it sounds dismissive then i think people are just generally trying to protect themselves yeah getting back to maybe healthy um healthy responses and grief or not or when you can see maybe something isn't going well yeah um i think it's it like in a lot of other things in life that if someone is using 
is self-medicating to cope. Sure. Right. So whether alcohol, drugs, um, mm. prescription drugs, whatever it is, yep. um, that they're trying to cope by that because they're trying to numb themselves rather than, so then it might be like, okay, somebody needs to help by stepping in and giving them tools yep. to express what they're feeling and also mm. an opportunity. So that's something we could easily be aware of. Or for ourselves, if you're grieving and you see this is where I'm spiraling, I'm isolating from others. Right. I don't want to talk about it. And I'm actually trying to find other ways to cope. And sometimes people even just try to rearrange their whole life. They just go full bore ahead, right? I'm going to start new relationships. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to do all kinds of things. Mm. But I think we can see that from uh, supporting communities that, you know, are these the best decisions for you right now? You know, are you just running away from Are you problems? trying to run away from something because you hate how you feel? Yeah. Right? right. Which is very understandable. You yeah. hate how you feel or you don't even understand it. Never felt this way before in my life. Yep. Mm. I think in a, in a, well, it could be in any loss, but spousal loss is a big one, right? Where people are like, I've never felt this disoriented. Mm. I've always been able to sleep and now I can't sleep. I've always had a good appetite. Now I don't feel like eating. I easily got along with my friends and now I feel stupid every time I go out because I'm just me and I, I'm single and I don't even know how to be single. Yeah, right. Um, so as a supporting community, we should have a, a, a good awareness of that and say, well, how do we, how do we do that mm. with somebody? How do we support them? How do we also see that maybe they could be um, heading down the wrong road and maybe come alongside them? I, I, I heard a good thing the other day on a podcast where they talked, it was in a different wasn't about grief, but was talking about as a Christian, are you either a gatekeeper or a guide, right? So am I going to be the person that says, hey, you're not grieving, right? Uh, right now, you shouldn't be doing this. Or you should be doing that. You should be feeling this way. Mm. You should be back in the game or you should be taking yeah. a seat yeah. in the back bleacher for a while. I think that's not the point. It's more like, how do I walk alongside with you? And then when you need me to give you an encouragement or whatever, I can say, hey, I can relate or I can't even relate, but I feel your pain. Um, Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Let's work our way through it. Mm. What's a manageable thing for you to do today? Don't worry about a year from now. What can you do today? What can we do together? Yeah. Um, you know, kind of break it down a little bit, right? Yeah, that's a tough one. Like, um, just from experience, like our, my family, I guess we have, I don't know, we have the full range, but it, we all dealt with grief differently and we still are, obviously, but. Well, this just just reminded me what you were talking. What like so Lucas was working for me when my mom passed away, and we spent a lot of time in the hospital. And Lucas actually asked me um, after the funeral, like, "What do you want from us? Like, do you want us to, you know, like talk about it all the time? Do you want us to just move on? Like, what do you want?" And that gave me and like, I wouldn't say I was worried about it, and you know, we're we have a good relationship, but knowing that like he had kind of dealt with that in our office and then I can still come back and just be me. That was what I needed. And that like was super helpful. So, you know, good, yeah, good job. Like, break the <laughs> ice almost. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But in, in a very practical way. And like, that's something that I actually really appreciated, but I don't think I ever told you that before. No, yes. no, I, I never heard yeah. that. But we have a similar personality that way. So, right. so I took an educated guess nice there. Bro moment on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I feel like yeah, you guys, yeah, need, yeah, you guys yeah. need to hug or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like that was that was really helpful for me. But my like I know that's not everyone's way that it needs to happen. So even like so I've been thinking about like the, the different ways that we grieve. And we were talking about like the funeral, um, even the visitation and people chatting about like and trying not to make it like uh 
a personal thing, um, trying to keep like conversation normal. And I know that like that is helpful for some people because as soon as you start talking about it, then it's like very difficult. Right. But on the other hand, not talking about it's difficult for some people. And yeah, I'm just trying to get to like these, it's not really unhealthy ways to deal with it. But then like, if you see somebody say like what you said, like rushing into things and making crazy decisions right after some event. Yeah. I mean, obviously everyone would be like, oh, okay, let's maybe go and talk to them. But if you have like, say like you're making pictures of, or having pictures of the person on like um, your, your phone and your computer and, and you're surrounding yourself with that, the images and the memories and you're like, you know, putting that in your own face all day long. Is that like, are the indications like that something that at some point you need to, you know, as a supporting person, you know, talk about and help people like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's not healthy. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think mean, it's good. I think that gets to this whole discussion and Diane could probably add a lot to that, even from her own experience as to how different people, um, experience a loss and what and the different roles in their relationships would make mean different things as to how they process it all mm. so i think a relationship with someone would be a big part of that do am i the person who has the relationship with that person to even talk to them about that right or is that someone more closer to them who should be doing that like yeah even to that point right like, am i a yeah. gatekeeper speaking in because it's none of my business really right because like i'm looking at you and i think i don't know if that's healthy i should ask you about that or am i intimate enough with you that i can say hey how Tell me about that. Right. Well, tell me why you're doing that. Tell me how does that make you feel right. to do that. And then you start to understand why the person is. And it could be that for a time that they're, they're trying to keep the presence of that person alive. They're afraid. Right. They're going to forget. They, they're trying mm. to hold on in any way to like, how do I still have the feeling of that person's love for me? Right. Because I'm having a hard person letting that like hard time um, figuring out that I won't lose that. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. So it's, that's a process thing, but I think there's, there's lots of dynamics in a family, um, even how other people interact with a family. So who who do they give most credence to as the grievers? And who are right. the other people who are just sort of considered mm. the the support of the bystanders who also may be grieved? Right. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's big too. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of that, I think when you're asking someone, um, yeah, like when people would ask me after Jay died, like, oh, how are your mom and dad doing? That would be so hard for them definitely is hard for them. But then if you're asking yeah. that question, then maybe also follow up with, and you. how are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which is something so simple, but I feel like that's kind of gets lost a lot. Mm -hmm. Like it's. It might be part of that. Like you were talking about earlier where you don't, it's easier to ask someone like, Oh, how are your parents doing? Right. Than to get to the nitty gritty. Like, how but are then you what doing? if I start bawling my then, eyes out and then mm -hmm. what do you do? Yeah. Right. right. Like, well, you almost have to be ready for that. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. In a way. If, if but, you're going to ask the question, you should be ready to hear the answer. Mm, you're right. Yeah. And that's not only in grief, that's in a lot, in a lot yeah, of things in life. Right? Fair enough. Yeah. If you're going to ask the question, you should be prepared to take the time and yeah. also digest the it's, answer. It's really hard to know how that hits. Like for me, if someone says, Oh, like, how's your dad doing? That does, question never bothers me. Right. But for some of my other siblings, like, yeah, but I'm also here too. And yeah. like, I've never really felt that, but also, also around the, graveside or at the funeral um the range of like i would say like emotion is is totally different too and i might be more on the side of like i'm afraid i'm not showing enough emotion right but 
and yeah, and then I guess sometimes like you're yeah, you're like losing the feeling of it. Like right. you're losing the feeling of how or what that person meant to you. And like, I don't know, maybe I've just it's more like a rationality. You're like, well, I know I'm not going to, but yeah. I so, think that ties back into what we were just talking about, like with how some people really, especially at first, really do surround themselves with like, you know, they carry the memorial card around everywhere, mm -hmm. the keep the pictures up, pictures in every room of the person. Like I've seen that before and I'm sure it could come to an unhealthy amount of time, but I think at first some people just, yeah, they're trying so hard to hold on to that feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing that they can think of at that time to. Mm. And I, yeah. And there's a whole issue of honoring the person who died. Like there's some people who, um, the children are horrified that mom is cleaning out dad's closet within, within yeah. a few weeks right. of the funeral. Yeah. And that's something right. she needs to do for, and, but, and rather than saying you're wrong doing that, they should say, why are you doing that? Mm. Because I think the person is hoping that this will be helpful for them to do this and they're processing in a way, right? right? That if I mm. do this, maybe this will, or this is what my responsibility is, or this is how I feel I could best do it. Yep. Um, but you get, you get to know more by asking the question to say what you're doing is wrong. You should wait three months or six months, or it's a year that you wait before you get rid of the clothes. Mm. And the opposite could be the truth where the person who keeps a memorial almost for the person and yeah. by keeping their stuff and you could judge it and say, wow, it's been a couple of years and you still, you know, you still got a lot of dad stuff in the closet or, right. or you're still kept all mom's things exactly where she had them. Mm. Yeah. But it's better to ask than say, Hey, I noticed that. Um, mm. Why do you do that? How does that make you feel? What is, is that, is that giving you some comfort? Like to explore that with somebody mm. is more helpful than to judge it. Yeah. Right. Um, because it's part of them processing and reorientating themselves around the reality that someone died. Yeah. Right. Um, I think the, the whole uh, thing about people feeling missed in grief can happen in, in uh, can happen in family relationships, especially and uh, there's a fancy word for that, disenfranchised griever. So that that's like someone who, uh, we usually think about that with voting. Someone who should be voting but can't vote because mm -hmm. they can't get to the polls or they can't. So they're disenfranchised. Like they should be having a seat at the table. They yeah. should be able to mm -hmm. assert something. But yeah. for so something stopping them. And sometimes in these situations, it's like the focus of most people's sympathy is to parents. Yeah. Or, or the, the parents might be to the spouse say of the person who died their child they focus their attention there and then they the people the rest of the siblings are like well what about us though all you want to do is talk about how a hard time they're having or how a hard mm -hmm. time you're having and it's and people feel so selfish to bring that to the fore right as a disenfranchised griever because yeah. you're like i'm not trying to say that people shouldn't care about you mm -hmm. i'm just saying could someone ask about me yeah mm -hmm. yeah right who will ask about me mm -hmm. and so i think an awareness of that in community is to say, well, who are those people in this group? Yeah. And I think often people gravitate together who had a common experience. So another person who had a spousal loss might yeah. say to you, yeah, but how are you doing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know when my brother or sister died, I just felt like no, I had nobody to talk to about it because it was all about other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I even made it about other people and didn't, it wasn't even open to my own awareness of how this was affecting me. And I had resentment because of it. I had resentment towards my parents or my sibling or my sister or brother-in-law. Mm. Cause I'm like, well, this is all about you. Like, don't you know that we're grieving too? And yeah. we've got to carry on with our life. And yeah. Mm. So it's a, it's a very real thing. Um, but mm. it's yeah. also good to be really aware of it in community to say, well, mm. who are those people? Um, one thing around that, that I thought was helpful from Dr. Wolfelt. He's a, 
uh, an American um, bereavement counselor, if you like, psychiatrist, uh, who's done a ton of work in this area. He talks about finding your therapeutic third. So he basically says, there's a third of people who will be helpful to you in grief. So they'll take the time to listen to you, understand you. Maybe you even will relate to them. Like if you say, I'm not a person who, who openly cries a lot, but maybe mm -hmm. I'm a little bit more, I just need to process things a little bit more rationally or mm -hmm. um, theoretically that helps me also emotionally. Right. So you find people that will be helpful for you that. Mm -hmm. and, and you recognize that two thirds of the other people won't be because they'll be wanting to push buttons that you don't want to do, or they just don't relate to you, or they'll be correcting you or, yeah. um, mm -hmm. or they don't even listen to you. They just talk, right? Yeah. They're just, yeah. they're just to talk. They're just talking at you. Yeah. So mm -hmm. he said, everyone should find their therapeutic third, those people that will be helpful for them in their grief and recognize that the others, they're not bad people. They're just not helpful for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you also fall into that. You're not good for everybody. Nope. You're, but there's probably a third of people that you will relate to well, that might be on your radar. That you right. can say, hey, I can I can be there for you. And if we're all kind of have that in our mind, that who who are those people I should could help? Yeah. And who are the people that I'm just annoying? Yeah. And 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 maybe be okay with that. Yeah. We can't be all things to all people. Mm. But we could all be something to somebody. Yeah. In grief. Yeah. Mm. That's a challenge though. You need to have a, a, a certain amount of emotional intelligence for sure. Yeah, self-awareness for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is tricky. Yeah. So yeah, not everyone regulates that themselves. Sometimes you have to regulate it even as the yeah. grievers. Say, so, you know what? You're just not good yeah, for me. Just, yeah. I'm going to avoid you for a while. And I'm going to talk to these people right. because you're not being helpful for me. You're actually hurting me and making me feel bad about my feelings and bad about that I'm grieving. And mm. um, and you may mean well. Yep. But you're you're being a gatekeeper or some type of a sure. person who's just saying, "Don't do it this way. Do it this. Do it like I'll do. I do it. Yeah. Mm. Do it the way it works for me." And it'll work for you. Yeah. And that's often Yeah. And as a griever, even you have to, like you're saying, advocate for yourself sometimes, even with that comes to people inviting you out or like when you're in a time where you, yeah, you, you feel people are trying to keep you too busy or whatever, like right. advocating for yourself. Like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go to that or I'm not going to go to this baptism or something. If, you know, a woman who's had a miscarriage or a stillborn, like, advocating for yourself well, i don't have to do everything mm. if i don't feel like where i'm at with my grief right now that that's going to be helpful then mm. you're allowed to right you know take a step back or not go to certain events or mm. yeah just kind of advocate for yourself i think is which is hard to do because i think a lot of people feel like they just have to show up for everything right and which is expect like having to show up for the funeral and people being relieved it's over. Cause it's like, this is something that you have to go. Yeah. yeah that right? you yeah. have to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but and it's healthy, but it's something like that. I think some people could feel that's like, okay, we have to do this. And then once we're past that, like, then it's like, I can deal with it. Like I want to deal with it. Right. Right. That's true. There is a <laughs> yeah. social engagement part of it. That is difficult. Some people it's very therapeutic for mm. some people. It's very difficult for, and then even, I think as a funeral director, you have to try to have some awareness of that, especially yeah. if you've, sense that say how do I, how do we create a protective space for mm -hmm. you so you're not overwhelmed yeah right. but you can still be part of it and how do we also accommodate the people who want all the engagement and that's mm -hmm. really good for them and they flourish in that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so i think you have to really be aware yeah. of that and e even in a family i think sure as a parent you kind of know your kids what and, and it might not be all the same for each of them yeah right right so you i mean even you think about birthday parties or something for one kid having a big, great big birthday party yeah. and all the bells and whistles is the thing. Yeah. And the other, like, just let me have my friend over and can we just go do mm -hmm. something together? Cause yeah. that's what I like. I hate being the center of attention. Yeah. Right. 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 So that you, you have those things that also 
play out in all the areas yeah. of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like every kid's cried at their birthday party. Right. Maybe yeah. it just wasn't for them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Maybe we yeah. should start yeah. asking yeah. what yeah. they want. Yeah. Yeah. Like That's that. funny, yeah. In your work, do you, um, like, is it done basically after the funeral's done or do you help, like, do you refer people to the counselors or therapists or anything like that? How does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll talk a little bit about um, bereavement care, and then maybe you could talk about sort of what we do with family care. Mm. Uh, so we we have for a long time um, run a program where we have um, regular peer group uh, sessions. So you can mm-hmm. sign up and join a peer group. Um, right. It's community-based, and the, there's usually a 10-week program. And the whole point of it is, first of all, to... And it's never right after the funeral. We usually actually, people, we say, you know, you should actually wait at least six months. Oh, because okay. Because really? when you come right away, you want to fix. You're looking yeah. to say, give me the 10-step the program to get, mm, yep. feel better. Yep, right. And that's not what it's about. It's actually about what is my grief all about? What is it teaching me? What types of things do I have to do? So even things like time management. Um, recognizing why I'm feeling certain ways. And so how do I manage that? What do I do? Um, How am I reorienting my life? What decisions I'm making um, that are helpful for me and aware of why I'm doing them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then also being validated by other people who are, you're like, similar story. I'm not the only crazy person. Everyone is feeling this way Mm -hmm. in some way about their loss. They're all feeling off kilter and they need help. And I'm not the only one. And there's something really amazing that happens that the, often these people kind of lean into each other and so in the group, they become supports for each other yeah. because mm-hmm. they become vulnerable. It's like the funeral yeah. where the people you're close to be, you become vulnerable. And then you have this like, we, we need to keep this going. You understand yeah. me. I understand you. And it's really helpful for us to have this time together. So a lot of times people, people make connections out of that. Nice. So we have that. And then we have some um, um, individual counseling too that could be um, arranged for and that's often when people just feel they get to the part where they feel stuck like i don't i don't know what to do or they're in conflict over their grief with family and, and sometimes even the fa- it's the family who calls it can you see mom like she's just not doing the way right. we want her to do and right. the first thing we say well mm-hmm. wait a minute if someone wants help they should they need to know that and they should be recognized so they should mm-hmm. be making the call but maybe you need to just talk about what you're frustrated about okay. because maybe your frustration is that you don't want to deal with your mom's grief. Yeah. Mm. Right. You want to move on and mom is treading water. Yeah. Mm. And that's very normal because your dad only died six months ago and our life has turned upside down. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so maybe that's the conversation that needs to happen rather than say, how do we fix mom? Yeah. Mm. Um, so those are the two things we've, we've offered as a funeral. So try to be that support afterwards. And then there's been some that have been more focused also for, we have a number of uh, moms that had infant loss. Right. And we see that. And then we say, well, do you want to form a little group together and have some help with that? And at, at times that's help, been helpful um, or suicide loss. Yeah. So people mm-hmm. have been dealing with that. So not only the shock and trauma, all that, but also what led up to it came after and the stigma. That's a whole mm-hmm. other thing that complicates the grief because people don't feel like they can talk about it mm-hmm. and, or other people speak into it in a way that's not helpful or not understanding. And yeah. You know, yeah, it's a tough one. Is sure. that a church uh, community problem or is that like just our culture in general? I think that's culture in general. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even the culture that's not faith-based still has difficulty knowing what to do with when yeah. someone takes their own life. Right. Mm. Uh, I think we're getting better to understand mental health issues and recognize that as a legitimate thing. Um, but still, like 
how to navigate all that. It's murky waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's murky waters. And yeah. also the, the, the situation around the death is often murky, right? Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's been either, you know, a, su- a suicide might, someone took their own life or there's been an overdose or there's been, you know, and it's like, how do you deal with all that to be able to talk about it openly mm-hmm. yeah. and feel supported? Then the family care is a little bit more on the practical side of things. Yeah, it's usually within like a week or so after the funeral itself. And we sit down with the family and it's kind of more of a yeah paperwork side of things, just helping them with government forms, getting necessary mm-hmm. applications out, getting certain cards and whatnot canceled. But yeah, that's the work part of it, I guess. But it is a good opportunity to... I feel like for them to even kind of debrief a little bit about how the service went and mm. what they took from it and what they felt. Um, yeah. Not even necessarily like our work services, but just, yeah, how they felt after what was meaningful to them and just to kind of chat and, you know, we always let them know we're here. It's not like, okay, you've done, we've done the paperwork and mm-hmm. see you later. Like if stuff comes up, um, yeah. questions, anything, just call us and, yeah, mm. d- develop good relationships within not just the Christian community, but our community in Waterdown. Um, to- yeah, I think it opens a door for future, like if they have needs, they could call us. Right, right. So not only just like I got something in the mail, I don't know what to do with, but I'm struggling with this or I don't know. There's a there's a place that they can turn to again. We, we've talked mm-hmm. about that sort of expanding our circle of care that we encourage people to plan ahead. So have a healthy discussion about a funeral. And what you might anticipate in doing that um, while you're well, um, yep. as part mm-hmm. of your retirement planning or, or whatever. Sure. Um, but also have a good discussion if somebody is ill. Like, can we be the people to help facilitate opening the talk about that? Because often there's one or the other person who is um, unwilling to go there. And it might be the mm-hmm. person who's dying. Or they might want to talk about it with the person who doesn't want them to die. Right. Doesn't want to talk about yeah. it. But whereas there could be at some point in there probably a healthy conversation for both people to say, you know, this is real. This is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm feeling. How are we going to, how do we, Mm. how do we talk about this? Yeah. Because it's so emotional. It's so loaded. It's so, there's so much fear of the future. Um, But if someone could help facilitate that discussion, um, wow, I think there's just a, a whole higher level of intimacy around something really, the probably the most difficult time in your life together that you're facing that the door could be open for that. Yeah. I've never heard somebody say afterwards, if they had that opportunity to say, well, I really regret that we talked about this ahead of time. They're always saying, I'm so thankful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thankful we were allowed to have that conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so if we can be a part of that to even be the people, sometimes it starts with a practical thing. It's like, well, we're just in case we're yeah. getting some cemetery property Lots. or yeah. something like that. Um, not planning to use it or whatever, but you know, the undertone, Mm, yep. And if you can open up that it's okay to talk about this, right? It won't make it happen, and also won't make it go away. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it can make it very open for when you need to yep. share with each other to say, right. "How are we doing?" Yep. Yeah, that's. Interesting. I hadn't thought about uh, bringing in a, like a funeral home into that discussion because I mean, I first of all, I wouldn't know the questions to even or the things to even think about right. necessarily. Like, I mean. Like a cemetery beyond that, I'd be like, eh, what kind of flowers do you want? Right. Um, but then to have like, are you able to kind of um, like keep a kind of like a idea of what that looks like in, in your mind that when that person then does experience the loss, they don't have to re-remember, re-remember, that's the word again, all the, all the ins and outs of what that person wanted, like 
yeah, like we we write stuff down, like we'll start a file for someone if they right. would like us to. And um, yeah, just kind of what their wishes are with mm -hmm. like, is there cemetery property? Um, if not, where are you thinking of? Um, would you want to have visitation at the funeral home or at a church or right. um, yeah. How do you feel about flowers? Do you want lots of flowers? Do you mm. keep it practical with the one? <laughs> um, yeah. There's just, and then when the time comes often it's, um, yeah, the family comes in and it's like, oh, I didn't know mom wanted that. Or I didn't know mom picked a right. light colored casket. I would have thought she'd pick it. Oh, but she picked it. That's nice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like it just right. gives, yeah. takes a little bit of pressure off the people who are planning the funeral. Um, because a lot of the decisions have already been made. Mm. And some people go as far as like picking what hymns they want yeah. and what. Yeah. What they want in their obituary, in their obituary. Yeah, yeah. stuff like wow. that. Get very creative, but <laughs> I think sometimes to me the best prearrangement visits I've made is not the one that had all the details nailed down, but where I could sense that the door was open to have an honest conversation about what was happening. Yep. Mm. Right. That someone is dying, and that it's it's for both of you very upsetting mm -hmm. and difficult to talk about. But if you could talk about it and and work your way through it together. How much more better would that be? And it's going to open the door to anticipatory grief. There's no, yeah, no there's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. But to be able to grieve with the one who's dying. Yeah. I mm. mean, I think that we always talk about it, the idea of being able to say goodbye to someone. That's essentially what you're doing in a really good way. It's like yeah. it's it's easier for the person who dies suddenly who never has to face it mm -hmm. um, in some way. But for the rest of the family, we always say, well, that's really hard. That's jarring. And there was no chance to say goodbye. And that's not about closure. That's actually about opening that discussion mm -hmm. to say, you know, you are dying. Yeah. And I'm going to miss you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how are you doing about that facing yeah. your death? And how are we doing together? And and really, I think some of the most intimate emotional moments would come out of that. Mm -hmm. If I think of relationships, whether it be spousal or with friendships or parents. Whatever. And that's why I think hospice care is really intended to facilitate that, right? It's mm -hmm. not just about you need the physical care. What is the emotional, who opens the conversation, right? And hospice, I think care is all about that. Yeah. It's uh, it's about let's let's be real about what's happening and then let's help each other deal yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you, I mean, I, don't, I hadn't even thought about this, but how, yeah, how do you go about helping somebody who is um, dying? Because that was, that's something that I look back on with my mom and I don't know that like I supported her enough. That was, that's one thing I think about every once in a while. That's like, you know, we could have prayed more. We could have sang more. We could have like, and I mean, it, compared to other people and, and the, the experience that they have, like the way my mom passed away was, was, it was amazing for her to, to get like a chance to talk to us all mm -hmm. and, and everything. But there's always something that's like, oh, we could have done that a little better. Like, I feel like personally, like, you know, my role in that could have been better. Yeah. Um, but is there like, yeah, is there some advice that you can give to to people who like know that ends coming and that? I guess obviously the hospice is a big thing. We were we were pretty fortunate with my mom that she was in ICU for a while. She came out of ICU and then they actually let her stay in a room, a private room by herself. They were going to move her to a hospice, but they didn't and she passed away like maybe a day or two later so we would have been like a transition so we actually mm -hmm. it was quite a blessing that we were able to stay in the hospital right. so we had a lot of family there right. and we had the opportunity there to to you know have a lot of those conversations and stuff 
but yeah, is there some advice that you can give to somebody who's who's you know speaking to to their loved one who's you know in that the last days? Yeah, I th- you know what I think. First of all, everyone will always have regrets because we're always saying, "Well, we could have mm, done more." If I yeah. only thought, if I'd only done this, uh, and that's actually just uh, it's also a grief process. It's right. kind of like I'm trying to re. There's something is out of your control, and you're trying to imagine that if I had done something different, maybe that would have had a different outcome, or that mm. would have been better. Or so we have that in relationship in general, right? Oh, I should have did this. I should have right. said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think one of the benefits of of when people are um, engaging hospice is then at least the permission to talk about it has happened that someone is dying right and that's usually the main thing that um if you're with the closest person to someone who's dying or the dying person themselves if they can give permission to talk about it Mm. because that it it does open up emotions but it does open up a pathway to have a sharing and and that you don't have to lie there thinking about this yourself and you're not nobody's fooled we all know what's happening Mm -hmm. or the person lying there's i don't want to make this harder for the person but wouldn't it be great if you could talk about how you you are feeling that the fact that the person is going to be gone Mm. um i mean there's always i think a little weird superstition in all our minds that if we talk about something it's going to happen quicker or maybe if we don't talk about it maybe it'll go away yeah yeah Um, and we know that's not real but I think it's the same reason why when people travel, they go also get their wills done. It's as if sometimes when you, that most people get killed when they're traveling. It's not true. No. But it's on your mind then because mm-hmm. you're all of a sudden have this little thought that what if I don't return? How will this affect these other people? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a similar <laughs> thing by just giving some permission to have the conversation. Mm. And But it's hard. I'm not saying I, I mean... I'm mortal and I face my mortality via other people all the time in my job, but I haven't had to do that myself to be the one because there's almost a sense like you feel like you're giving up. Yep. And that's almost right. like, like that could be the worst thing. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It just strikes me as like, ah, that's yeah. not what I want to do. But but you could say I'm not giving up or you might say I'm not taking any more treatment, but let's talk about that. Why am right. I not? Yeah. Or I'm taking treatment, but I also know that it might not go yeah. the way we want it to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just in case. And can we talk about that? Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying before about um, having that like discussion ahead of time, even if the funeral home's there or whatever, sometimes gives like, I find sometimes the one who is dying can be, yes, yeah, um, no submissive is the word, but they just kind of want to be like, oh, just put me in a box and put, shove me in the ground and oh, they'll be fine. Oh, dismissive. Mm, that's dismissive. what I'm looking for. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas then you have the other person that, and sitting there like, oh, rolling their eyes. And it's like, you know, this is your wife and she's going to be grieving. And maybe she doesn't want to just throw you out in a cardboard box. Mm. So like uh, giving them permission, I feel like to have that conversation of, okay, this is actually serious and you need to to have that talk. Yeah. So, and actually think about the other person. Right? Yes. It's not yeah. only about yourself. It's also about the people around you. Funerals are for the living. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the person least impacted by it is the person who has died because they have no experience in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. They will, their body will be cared for in a certain way, but we believe they've, they've gone on in their soul. Um, but all the people who were vitally impacted are the people left behind. That's yeah. What are we doing? Why are we doing yeah. it? How does this help us? Um, yeah. Another thing that a little bit of what kind of, of what you said um, when people ask, like sometimes we'll have people call and say, you know, dad's not doing well and 
So I said, me, it's like be a day or two and maybe we should come in and get all this stuff written down and do all this. And often we just say like right now where you need to be, if it's happening this quickly is to be by their side. Like mm. that's the important part, whether yeah, right. you're saying the right thing or doing the right thing. I don't think that even matters so much just mm. being there. Right. Like yeah. that's where you need to be at that time. And then the rest will, will be here when it does happen to help you. Mm. You know, if it's that close, so. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. Did you have anything you want? We got about like five minutes left. If we want to keep it somewhat tight today, do you want anything else you want to hit on there, Ty? No, uh, I got a question. I, otherwise, yeah, but. no, go ahead. All right. Yeah. Like maybe we, you both use this as like kind of your ending off sort of point here, but uh, the last point we kind of got down here is like if you want to reflect on some trends you've seen maybe over the years in your time at your work, uh, specifically, I suppose in our Reformed Church community how people are dealing with grief and with death. Um, yeah, hit us with maybe some positive stuff and and some stuff that we could also try to change as well as a community. So I don't know if you want to go first, Rick or Diane. Mm. All right, I'll <laughs> go first. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think I've seen some really positive things. I think, first of all, um, if I think of experience of friends who lost family members when I was in high school, um, there was a lot of uncertainty how to deal with that in the public setting of the school. And um, I, my friends mm. have expressed to me, they went to school and uh, there was a palpable sense that the best thing people could do was just not acknowledge this even happened. Let's just carry on. Um, if we could avoid the topic, maybe there'd be a prayer about it or something just to kind of set the right tone that um, yeah, right at the at the time, but often then the family wasn't there when that happened in the community. So when they reintegrated, coming back from a funeral, that they just felt like, I feel like everyone is either looking at me or avoiding me, or and nobody is actually able to talk about this or do anything or say anything, mm -hmm. and, and just felt real angst around that. Whereas mm -hmm. I've noticed in previous or recent more recent years is that. Um, the school community engages with what's happened, recognizes that the, the grievers are also in the school community and create an opportunity um, for gathering, for talking about it, for some type of a memorial, if it's appropriate, where there can be an outward expression of grief shared and openly and put in a, in a context of hope. We think of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, we grieve as those who have hope, but we grieve. And just permission to grieve as a community. So I, I see those as really uh, steps forward, um, even though there's, um, you know, Christian counselors available in the school because, yep. you know, that mm -hmm. helps people like that to also find here's someone who could maybe help me have the tools to know how to navigate this. Um, mm. So that's a good thing. I also uh, think the um, church community uh, really gets it and how to like support each other, um, not only with sort of coming out for visitations and really supporting people, but reaching out. Um, I think just about every time there's a death in the community, there's a, there's food. And I was reading a book recently and um, this lady was reflecting when her husband died that um, the community expressed themselves in food. So like all the, the, the casseroles and things were coming sure, And this yeah. was people saying, I just want you to know we care about you. I know you need to eat. You're probably getting too many casseroles and your freezer's full. But anyway, this is the only way I know right now is how to show you something without being invasive, like yep. demanding your time. Yep. Um, so I think there's that's really healthy and rich in 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 the church community mm. that there the people are willing to share and I think talk about it more maybe than even the immigrant um, um, 
mindset. community was able to. Yeah. And this, with no aspersion mm -hmm. to them, I think they were dealing with a whole bunch of coming to a new country. Sure. You were grieving the loss of your old country. You left your parents behind or yeah. siblings or whatever. You yeah. had all yeah. kinds of things. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it was a bit a bit of survival even. Like yeah. you can't even go down this road. No, just sometimes. keep on chugging. Okay, we just all yeah, have to yeah. pull together and carry on. Yeah. But mm -hmm. uh, So I think there's a lot of healthy things that have happened. Yeah, and I think that, um, yeah, maybe it's a generational thing too, but people are getting more involved in the planning of like their parents' services and, you know, they want certain photos and right. um, they want to do the slideshow. They want to have, mm -hmm. like, they want to have uh, input. It's not just, um, yeah, it's a church service, but it's also a yeah, way to honor their their loved one and to represent their mm. life too, right? Their faith life, yeah. but also their their life as a mom or, you know, mm -hmm. as a baker. Sure. Like I do find that becoming more common. Um, also it's nice to see uh I feel like more children being, you know, coming to visitations and services, whereas before I feel like it was, oh, if you're you know, not 10 or 16, then you just stay home. Mm. Like even within families, whereas now it's like, no, everybody comes and because everyone's grieving together and yeah. to show that it's, it's normal. There's nothing that these kids need to be afraid of um, in that way. So it's nice seeing parents putting the time in to like talk to their kids about it. And when they come in, showing them things, making sure they're comfortable. And mm. so that's been, I feel like a good thing to see just the involvement that they want to have yeah right yeah totally oh man yeah that's good things to think about hmm. well i've learned a lot this yeah. has been fantastic <laughs> yeah yeah this is yeah this has been great i think uh it, it'll help people to you know know what to do when they're supporting someone but also yeah getting through or in and dealing with grief so do you have any last bit of thoughts you want to get out before we before we end this they'll seem to be pretty content yeah, no, I think we're talked out, but uh, yeah, we, I mean, obviously we're in the profession we are in because we believe in it a lot, but uh, we really believe grief is the natural God-given way for us to to um, deal with the the stops and starts, ups and downs, um, death, um, other losses in life, and that we can do well as a community to support each other in that, yep. understand it, support each other, and, um, and just really respect it as a valuable part of our, even our, our growth. Yeah. Um, Christian growth, spiritual mm, growth. Faith wise. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, we hope it's been helpful for all the listeners and, uh, yeah, for we'll sure. probably do a feedback episode on this eventually. So if mm -hmm. people have questions, they can write in and if we get stumped, which is likely, then we'll just forward them your way and <laughs> see good. if we can get a couple answers. Sounds yeah. Good. Yeah. I appreciate your work. Like, yeah. Yeah. So many do. So yeah. yeah. Alrighty. Well, yeah. keep on real talk folks. So and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. You can send us your feedback by emailing us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on social media by looking for the handle Reformed Real Talk. You can find us online by going to realtalkpodcast.ca. We look forward to your feedback as that's what helps us grow and improve as podcasters. Real Talk is produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, Tyler Vanderwood, and Tim Van Woodenberg. The theme music was created by Calvin Hutton. The table and cabinet behind me were made by Ethan Vanderwood of Eureka Woods. And finally, this sign in the studio was made by Zebra Signs. That's it for now, folks. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.